0: Everybody, welcome to the sixth episode of the Backseat Huddle podcast. I am your host, Tristan Weber. This week, I'm going to start my show off with Jimmy G and the San Francisco 49ers. They crushed the Carolina Panthers and Baker Mayfield 37 to 15. And I'm going to start my show off with something that's a little bit hot, takey, a little controversial, and people are going to think I'm stupid when I say this but Jimmy Garoppolo should be considered an MVP candidate. He won't win it because he's not statistically dominant and he's not going to have the most yards. He's not going to have the most touchdowns, but he should be considered an MVP candidate. There is a difference between statistical dominance and value. Okay, and it's wild because it isn't something that's necessarily quantifiable or that you can put your finger on and that you can just point to it and see why Jimmy Garoppolo works. But it does, and he does. He works for that team. The San Francisco 49ers are a significantly better team with him on the field than with him off of it, and that shows value, okay? How valuable you are to your team. So if you are taken off the field versus when you're on it, that is in theory what value is. And the simple fact of the matter is they're not a winning team without him. Kyle Shanahan. Has a losing record without Jimmy Garoppolo as a head coach. Once again, that shows how valuable he is to the team, not how statistically dominant is, not the most touchdowns, what his value is to the team. Jimmy Garoppolo has a 98.8 passer rating through the first 50 games in his career. He is 35 and 15. And since the merger, 1970, the only quarterback with 35 wins and a higher quarterback rating is Patrick Mahomes. So something that he's doing is absolutely working. Now, we saw how this team looked with Trey Lance under center, and we were debating whether or not this is going to be a playoff team, how far Trey Lance could take the 49ers, how long he'd be able to keep his job. And now... We look at the San Francisco 49ers as one of the best teams in the conference, in the NFC. Name one team right now you think the San Francisco 49ers just can't beat. They can't beat them. There's nobody. They have a chance to beat anyone in the NFL, and it is directly related to who they have under center. In the games that Trey Lance has started, forget about winning. They struggled to score they average 11 points per game in these obviously small sample size that he has started. The San Francisco 49ers average 11 points per game. In the 2021 season, with Jimmy Garoppolo starting most games, they averaged 25 points per game. That is two touchdowns. When it comes to betting lines, most players in the NFL are not worth even a single point. Some are worth half a point most quarterbacks end up being worth between four to six points. Right now, Jimmy Garoppolo versus Trey Lance is worth 14 points. Your value to your team is two entire touchdowns. That is exactly what value is. And I think what's going on with the Dallas Cowboys is actually an excellent example of what the value of Jimmy G is. Dak Prescott goes down, his backup comes in, wins every game he starts, which is the exact opposite of what's happening with the San Francisco 49ers. If Jimmy G doesn't play, their team suffers significantly. Our expectations for the 49ers completely change if he doesn't play. What we think they're capable of as a team completely shifts when it's someone that is not Jimmy Garoppolo under center. And that is the literal definition of value. Jimmy G should be considered an MVP candidate and he won't win it. And perhaps he even shouldn't because there are players out there like Lamar Jackson who are just as valuable to their team, but he is extremely valuable to the San Francisco 49ers and he alters the trajectory of their season just by being on the field. So Jimmy G for MVP, and it even rhymes, okay? I'm going to go move on. The Eagles took down the Arizona Cardinals 20-17 to this week in what originally looked like it was going to be a pretty easy victory, but they ended up pulling it out late. Let's just go ahead and crown the Philadelphia Eagles as the NFC number one seed. Right now, they are sitting at, five and oh which is the best record in the nfc and they've got a bunch of wins left on their schedule and their schedule is only the 15th most difficult in the nfl and there is no reason this team shouldn't have 13 to 14 wins let's go ahead and break down the remaining games the eagles have left and they're going to end up the one seed so the remaining eagles schedule looks like this they have the titans the colts the texans the steelers the bears and a very overrated Green Bay Packers team. Those are all winnable games. They could and should win all of those games, but let's just say they drop one of them unsuspected, unsuspectedly, unexpectedly, just so we're not being too ambitious. Then their remaining schedule is the Commanders one more time, the Cowboys twice, and then the Giants twice. I think it's fair to assume that the Eagles will sweep the Giants. I'm not big on the Giants. I mean, we've seen them win. They kind of have a Tennessee Titans-esque quality from a year ago where they're supported by a strong running game, and they just find ways to win. But the Philadelphia Eagles are better than the Giants, and they should sweep those games. Let's just say that they split the series of the Dallas Cowboys. because I think that's fair. The Cowboys are a good team. Let's say it's a division game, you know, weird things happen. Let's just go ahead and say they split those games with the Cowboys. That leaves them with 14 wins. Okay, and that's a reasonable expectation out of the Philadelphia Eagles. Even if they drop an unexpected game or two, they should still be the number one seed in this conference. Who do we anticipate that's going to have more wins than the Eagles this season? Tampa Bay looks really unreliable. Their offense is shockingly shaky. Their run defense is shockingly shaky. Do you expect the San Francisco 49ers to have more wins? They're injured all over the place, just like they are every single season. Do you expect Dallas to have more wins? I mean, do we really expect the Cooper Rush experiment to keep winning games if Dak Prescott can't come back? And then they only have CeeDee Lamb as one of their outside threats in a weapons league. Who do we expect to have more wins than the Philadelphia Eagles this year? We can go ahead, after five weeks, it is fair to go ahead and just pencil them into the NFC's number one seed. Next week against Dallas is actually going to be a really exciting game uh, for Eagles fans and people who like me who are just interested to see them play because it's really exciting to get to see them go against an elite defense like Dallas's. I think it's going to be really telling about what type of team this Philadelphia Eagles squad is because they've had some breaks go their way. They played in some soggy weather and against some not great teams and obviously the soggy weather kind of lends itself to their Playing style, I was just kind of that hard-nosed, Jalen Hurts running type of thing. What I will say about the Philadelphia Eagles, though, is I'm excited about them. I think they're going to be the number one seed, but I'm not 100% sold on the Philadelphia Eagles as a Super Bowl winning team just due to their lack of experience. That doesn't mean it's not possible for them to win the Super Bowl. They totally could, but last time we saw them in the playoffs, they were down at 1.30 to 0 against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. I just haven't seen enough out of them, but they've obviously gotten better since then. Jalen Hurts has taken strides. They've added James Bradbury. They've added some really nice pieces on both sides of the ball, and then a very weak NFC team where they are going to be the number one seed. The Philadelphia Eagles absolutely could be representing the NFC in the Super Bowl this year, and the NFC playoffs are going through Philadelphia. If so I spoke about them for just a second, uh, the Dallas Cowboys took down the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams 22 to 10, moving the Rams to two and three on the season, which is a tough start for a team that hoisted the Lombardi Trophy six months ago. But. We should not be shocked by what we're seeing out of the Rams. Perhaps there is some legitimate shock value in how fast they've kind of fallen off, if you will. However, it should not come as a shock that they are falling off the way that they are. Since they got rid of Jared Goff, the Rams have mortgaged their future to win now. And their win now was last season. Their GM literally had on a shirt that said, F them picks. That mindset does not lend itself to longevity. And why would it? It just doesn't. And don't get me wrong. The Rams won. They went all in. They pushed all their chips to the table, and they won. They won big last season, but we're seeing the cost of that right now. They have no depth. They they don't have a second pass rusher beyond Aaron Donald. They don't have a second pass catcher beyond Cooper Cup. I mean, they got Tyler Higbee, but they don't have a second wide receiver beyond Cooper Cup, and they don't have a second good to great offensive line beyond Rob Havenstein. I bet if the Los Angeles Rams had, you know, maybe a first-round pick or a second-round pick or two, they might actually have the depth that they need to be able to get through injury-filled seasons like this one. But... Alternatively, if they had all those first round picks, they might not have a Super Bowl win either. So, what happened with the Phil? What happened with the Los Angeles Rams is they gambled last season. They gambled, they gambled everything for a win now mode and they won. They mortgaged their future on that and they won. And this season, this offseason, they continued to gamble. They gambled with letting Von Miller go, they gambled with letting OBJ walk, at least we think and they gambled with running with Joe Noteboom after Andrew Whitworth retired. And those gambles just didn't work out. But that's the risk that they decided to take when they started building their team the way that they did. When they gambled on Jalen Ramsey, when they gambled on Von Miller, when they gambled on OBJ, they won, they won, they won. And now they gambled and they lost. And we're seeing the effects of that. And that's okay. Because the way the Rams have been doing business Worked out for them in the short term. They won the Super Bowl last season. But when those gambles end up not working out, see Allen Robinson, your weaknesses start to become significantly more noticeable. And it's very fair not to expect them to be necessarily the same team that they were last season, which is a trap I fell into. I thought they were going to repeat. But the Rams weren't a juggernaut last season. They were a remarkably healthy team at the end of last season. I mean, they had Cam Akers and Robert Woods out, but they were remarkably healthy. They got hot at the right time, and they were Super Bowl worthy, and they won the Super Bowl. And it's almost the exact same story as what happened with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2020. They weren't a juggernaut. They're just a really good team that got hot at the right time and was very healthy at the end of the season. And it happens. The Rams gambled and won a Super Bowl and now we're seeing them gamble and lose and they will figure it out eventually. The coach is way too good. The GM less need is way too good. Matthew Stafford is way too good. He's not looking good right now, but he is a Super Bowl winning potential Hall of Fame quarterback. He's got a lot of records and they'll figure it out. But for right now, they're not a Super Bowl contending team and that's okay because the Rams pushed all of their chips to the center of the table And they won. It's just hard to do that over and over and over again. The Rams will figure it out, but they gambled and won. Now they've gambled and lost. On the other side of that game, it's time to admit that Prescott is a little bit overrated. Perhaps significantly, perhaps insignificantly, depending on where you fall in the argument but he is at least a little bit overrated, and it's time to admit he's just not a top 10 quarterback. He's somewhere in the 12 to 15 range, and that's where he's always been. There's always been stats and, and, and figures to back it up. If you take out Dak Prescott's rookie season, he is 40 and 32. He is only eight games over 500, and that's in what's mostly been a very dysfunctional division in the NFC East. And he has a losing record against against playoff teams, winning teams, and there's just there's plenty of reasons to talk about why Dak Prescott is just not quite as good as he people. He's not quite as good as people say he is. However, Dak Prescott's backup going four and zero while he's out is the cherry on top of all the Dak Prescott is overrated arguments. To steal something that I learned from Colin Cowherd, quarterbacks are either tractors or they're trailers. They either pull the team or the team pulls them. And it's time to admit with true evidence, Cooper Rush going 4-0, the team pulls Dak Prescott just as they pulled Cooper Rush to four straight wins. What tr- what, what, truly great NFL quarterback do we feel, could get injured and their backup quarterback could come in and go 4 out under any circumstances? I can only think of one. Well, I can think of two. I can think of one in the regular season, which was where Drew Brees got hurt and then Teddy Bridgewater came in and went 5 and out with an offense that was perfect for what Teddy does and also an excellent Hall of Fame head coach and Sean Payton. Now, that was a great quarterback going out. The only other one I can remember is when Carson Wentz got hurt and Nick Foles went to the Super Bowl, but that he wasn't an elite quarterback, and that was a really, really unique scenario. But the point of the matter is, those are both the exception, not the rule. Usually, when your starting quarterback goes out, it's a oh man, what's going to happen now? Which is exactly what we did when Dak Prescott got hurt, but he went out and won four more games. Now, the game against the Rams as a standalone doesn't prove anything. Cooper Rush only completed 10 passes, okay? But looking at a whole the Cooper Rush going 4 and 0 does prove something for all the reasons I just detailed. What it does not prove is the idea that Dak Prescott is a bad quarterback or that he's worse than Cooper Rush or that Cooper Rush should be starting over Dak Prescott. That's all absolutely not true. Dak Prescott is a good quarterback. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Joe Burrow. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's good to very good at everything you could ask him to do. He's just not special at anything on the field. In terms of intangibles, things you cannot measure, things you physically cannot see, off the charts. But in terms of what you see on the football field, Dak Prescott is good to very good at everything, but not special at anything. And it's likely he'll never live up to that contract that they gave him. However, the Dak Prescott injury may be exactly what the Dallas Cowboys needed. Okay. They needed a wake up call that perhaps Dak Prescott isn't the guy that they think he is. And that the brunt of the offensive load should not fall on him. Recommitting to the run with Zeke and moreover, Tony Pollard, because wow, Tony Pollard every single week, that guy's doing something crazy. Recommitting to the run game is the way for them to go moving forward, moving him back into a more game manager style a game management role like we've seen Cooper Rush take on is not an insult to Dak Prescott. It is possible to have a lot of success with an extremely high-end game manager slash low-end star quarterback. And that's right where he falls, and Dallas is better for it. They get to enjoy all the things that they got with Cooper Rush going 4-0, and then they also get to add a superior quarterback to that mix. So it's likely a sign of a lot more wins moving forward for the Dallas Cowboys. Cool. So all in all, uh, it's likely going to end up being a good thing for the Dallas Cowboys in a weird way that Dak Prescott got hurt because it kind of allows them to sort of find themselves, which is nice. So moving on, the last subject of the week, uh, best and worst. So occasionally I like to highlight what I feel is the best and worst of the week here and there. So here's what I got, and I've got two of each. So best of the week, number one is Bill Belichick does it again. The Lions came into week five with the number one offense in the NFL, averaging 35 points per game and roughly 450 yards per game until they had to go to Gillette Stadium. Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions were shut out and held to only 312 yards of total offense. It is extremely easy to win a game with a seventh round rookie draft pick when the other team scores zero great job to bill belichick holding the nfl's number one offense to zero points that's just another in the long list of defensive clinics that bill belichick has put on over the years worst officiating this week was terrible roughing the passer calls especially especially the officiating at the end of the Tampa Bay Atlanta game was some of the worst I've ever seen in my life. I feel like every single week we have another reason to complain about the referees, but this was different. The ticky tack defensive holding call against Atlanta, uh, the really bad non-defensive pass interference call against Scotty Miller way down the field. And then the disgustingly bad Roughing the passer call against Tom Brady was one of the worst I've ever seen. And then almost the exact same thing happened Monday night to Derek Carr. Uh, rather, against Chris Jones, which was just a regular sack. But the Tampa Bay-Atlanta game felt worse. I mean, it sucks when it feels like the referees decide a football game. And even when it's deserved calls or, de- or real calls our non calls it's just are just bad calls it's just it's just sucks when it feels like the referees decide a game it sucks the referees were terrible this week best uh taysom hill what a unique player taysom hill is and what a pleasure It has been to get to watch his career for Saints fans. He's just so neat and has such an interesting baller's mentality. I cannot remember a time in my life when a player was just so extremely versatile and unique and interesting to watch. This week, Taysom Hill was one of three players in NFL history with three rushing touchdowns, 100 rushing yards and a passing touchdown all in one game which isn't too bad for a tight end slash quarterback slash running back slash punt blocker slash wide receiver. So a great game for Taysom Hill. And lastly, worst is Pittsburgh getting blown out by 35 points. Much has been made about how Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season, but that record is coming to an end this season. Their offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL, and it is doing rookie quarterback Kenny Pickett, the starter now, absolutely no favors at all. The Pittsburgh Steelers' recent history, they've done a really good job of drafting skill guys. I mean, they've got Kenny Pickett surrounded with weapons. They've got Najee Harris. They got Chase Claypool, Pat Fryermuth, who's hurt right now. And Pickens looks like a dog. But Kenny Pickett can't get any of those guys the ball without any offensive line support. Like, how is he supposed to get any of those guys the football in their hands? He's clearly not the Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert type of level player where he's just going to be able to overcome the lack of offensive line support. They got to do something to help them out. So that's it. That is my show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in once again. Take care, everybody.